This podcast contains swear words. Hello and welcome to Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne, a podcast about art making, creativity, not giving up, don't do it, and living well in the process. And right now, still mid-pandemic, still fight for racial justice. Let's do it until it's done, please. Creativity, talking to the artists in our midst, the thinkers, is more important than ever. I'm coming from the perspective of a performing artist, but the themes and issues discussed here apply to all of us, whether you consider yourself an artist or not. Life is a creative act. I'm your host, Tara Cheyenne Friedenberg, a choreographer, actor, dancer, writer, and educator living on the unceded ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish people on the west coast of Canada. In today's show, I have the great honor of talking to my friend, artist, dance artist, actor, advocate, maker of great things, social change, Tasha Faye Evans. I will put her bio and links to all the things that we talked about, as many as the links exist to all the things we talked about in uh, our time together in this interview. I've known Tasha since we were at university together at Simon Fraser University so many years ago. She is a powerhouse and she's an incredibly talented person doing incredible things. And I'm just really, really grateful that she had time to share with me and with us, our listeners today. And do check out the links to her projects in Port Moody and around the Lower Mainland. Very important and very worthwhile. And your friendly reminder to please rate, review, like, share, do all the things that make a podcast continue. Um, it really makes a difference, even if you're just mentioning to, oh, I just am listening to a great podcast and it's local and, or I live far away. I don't live on the West Coast and I'm still listening to it. And uh, it's relevant and because there are lots of great artists that uh, are being interviewed and important things that are global. You know that thing, that global thing, we're all one, everything you do matters, that thing. So thank you. Thank you for listening and uh, share the podcast so we can keep it ad-free. All right, here we are. I am talking to my friend, Tasha Faye Evans, who I have known. I was trying to figure out how long we've known each other. Is it since university? Yeah. I would say. Yeah. We were both at SFU. We're both at SFU. A few years ago. <laughs> a few. Just a couple. You were a bunhead. I was not. I was a theater. I was a hairy theater person. You were a hairy theater person, but with a movement bent. Yes. 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 Although I had come from University of Calgary where I was a theater person with a toe in the bunhead. So I don't know. I just, you know, I can't, uh, I refuse to pick a box. And you too. You too have refused to pick a box, which is one of the reasons I just like love what you do. You went to SFU for theater. Tell me the evolution of from then 
to now <gasps> as much detail as, as you want. I think, uh, yeah, I think our listeners would, uh, would love to hear about you. I think what was really uh, different about the program when we were in SFU is that you had to choose your box. Yeah, it's true. So I was really fortunate that at least in the theater program, it was very physical based. It was physical theater, which was what we were learning. And, um, and what was important for me back then was really training to be, to be in my body as authentic as I could. And I really feel that those, <laughs> I really feel that everyone should go through theater school. I'm not sure whether it's as healthy to go to the extreme that I went through because it's such a strip down. And I, not only did I go to SFU, but then I went to Massachusetts and studied with Linda Putnam so there was a, for a year, so yeah, for a year we went, we lived, I lived in this gorgeous cabin in the woods and by myself in Massachusetts and traveled into town to take Linda Putnam's work, you know, an intensive for a year. That was amazing. And then I came home and I, I got, I wor started working right away. And so I, and I still had a year left of my, to get my degree and Mark Diamond, I called Mark up and he said, well, what do you need a degree in theater for? You know, you're already working. You don't come back. So I didn't go back. And I ended up kind of traveling down two roads. One road was physical theater. So I went to, um, I did a tour and I was, I was doing all this uh, work for the attorney general. Um, but then I, I also trained with Primus. And so I went and traveled and work with Primus. And when I'm talking about the strip down, you know, I, you were 18 years old and learning about how to hold our bodies and what are the, what are the masks that we wear and what is our social role and all of these questions that were coming at a time that I was already just trying to figure out who I was. So uh, when I look back at those times, you know, I went from having hairy, like big, huge hair and my armpits and my legs and to like shaved head and I'm Moni DeFranco. You know, I walked in that, that kind of, uh, that pathway because I was also quite moved by social injustices and, um, and environmental injustices. So at the same time that I was studying to be a, an artist and I was also really in love with this old particular old growth forest. And I have to credit my whole life to this two year or I know I would say, well, the two year relationship that I had, like a boyfriend who took me to this old growth forest. And then like the love affair that I've had with this old growth forest ever since, because then I, I was an artist, but I had a I had integrity based on that forest and how the land is so sacred and beautiful and how, you know, there's these temples, these groves of 1500 year old cedar trees that have been standing here and witnessing and what these trees have witnessed. And um, for me, that just kind of, it's been one of those reoccurring metaphors in all of my work since. And, um, and it's only been recently in this last 10 years that I think that both those, 
those paths have been able to um, synthesize and come together. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. When you say like these paths of synthesized, can you give me like a, a couple examples of the, you know, or highlights from the last 10 years that kind of say that for you or you feel that in, in the projects or, or uh, interactions? Mm. There is a, uh, I've been, so for the last five years, I've been really involved in um, carving, Coast Salish carving, and in particular leading projects, commissioning incredible um, traditional carvers, incredible master carvers is what I meant to say. And um, so I've been able to witness the process of honoring the spirit of the tree, which is, you know, 600 years old and doing ceremony on her spirit and then witnessing the design, uh, the creation of the design and then witnessing the carving and how, and participating even in the carving and how, you know, you can carve. It's incredible how you can be carving. And all of a sudden you'll, you'll hit a ring, you'll hit a layer in the tree that will release this, like this, the smell of ancient grandmother's medicine. Like it's like, and, and, and it's been in that tree for, 500 years, you know, and you hit that layer. It's because when you carve, you carve at the heart, you carve. Oh, it's so, so, so there's that, uh, that experience while on the, in, in my, what was I going? Oh yeah. The Coast Salish design. Right. So I just get so passionate. I just get oh, I love it. Away <laughs> when I think about carving. So, and just to think about the synthesis of these two paths is just very, exciting for me right now. So um, what I was getting at was at the heart of these designs is the, is Coast Salish, is the Coast Salish eye, which is a circle. And then around the circle or uh, outside of the circle are the ripples. So a crescent. And then outside of that crescent or two or three, there'll be a triangle with these points that point out and direct the energy out into the future. And it's based on uh, the ancestor's eye is based on a pebble dropping in the water and the ripple effects that that has. Um, And then the trajectory, the trigon is the trajectory of that energy. And for me, it's, it's very much for what I've learned in what I've learned about my culture is that it's at the very, that the ancestor's eye is at the very, core of who we are as Coast Salish people because whatever we do whatever or whatever I have in my teachings whatever I do has to have a intention because and that intention is what ripples and that sends energy out into the, the, the future and where we go and it's manifested that way and that we are we are as humans right now in this time and place we are as a result of all of those intentions and the prayers and the visions of our ancestors and the Coast Salish eye is reminding us that our ancestors are, are watching over us and that they did a lot of work for us to be here. And we need to walk in reverence for, uh, for that gift. And at the same time, we have to remember that we are joining that legacy 
of ancestors. We're here in this time and place. And whatever we do, we have to do with it intention because of our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and the seven generations in front of us. So I feel that in my, um, in my own personal career as a, now as a more of a dancer, that my work is about really that ancestor's eye. What, it, what is it that, what is the, what am I, what is my intention for my work and how is, what are the ripple effects and what am I, what am I wanting to bring as my sacred responsibility really of these Salish lands and waters and all of our, and the future of all of our relations. Mm, That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Um, And when you, so now that you're, you, you just said, you know, like you're dancing a lot. I see you dancing a lot over the last few years, which is such a gift. Um, I'm interested too in this, like from theater, I mean, because, you know, this is what I do is this like theater, dance, theater, dance. And in my mind, they're the same thing. Um, And I I do get very frustrated um, when they're kind of siloed. Do you have an opinion about that or an experience or, you know, the, the, the fulcrum of, you know, dance to theater? I feel that it's really, I feel that my journey in back into the dance world was quite smooth because uh, the, the theater training has always been about the body that I've experienced and that we, what we got out of SFU and the teachers there was like that the source of who you are, of your character, of your energy that you come from is all from the body and that your body, you know, the gestures and how you hold yourself and all those things. And also the, um, you know, those, the tools that we're given as theater practitioners is that, you know, you understand your, your space in the room, you understand your role, you understand like where you are in in relationship to other people. And so we have this, all these tools that really I feel work well in the dance world. And I find it's trickier for, and we talk, we like to talk about it. We like to, we have words to express uh, and, and um, like digest. I mean, um, what is that word? Uh, Dissect dissect our mm-hmm. our process and what we're thinking about and what our imagery are, imagery is and we can bring that all into the room and I find it's a bit overwhelming sometimes when I'm in a room with dancers who have just had that pure physical training where everything comes so most often the dancers in the in my previous past have you know the choreography is laid on top of their bodies it doesn't come from the or it comes from the inside out but there's no, it's just a visceral, not just, it is a visceral, visceral um, response and that the imagery and all those kinds of things comes later. And so I find that, I find the, uh, I find that, well, I just feel as a, I feel like an integrated artist now after all these years being able to like actually dance. And I actually feel that dancing is more, more who I am as a, as my craft, because as much as I can do theater and as much as that, you know, I haven't been practicing theater as much as I have been in my body and all those kinds of things. And I, and I, and I feel that um, there's this strange, strange world about doing plays, like what, 
unless that for me, unless they align with the Coast Salish eye, <laughs> unless they align, there's a reason why we're doing this. This, you know, I'm, I'm involved in, you know, I'm involved in what the last piece that, well, yeah, it all has, uh, it all needs to mean something to me to be called to do it, which is really interesting because as you know, I was going to be part of Bard. Yes. And I was just, that was my next thing to talk about because we were about to be collaborating on Midsummer Night's Dream directed by Scott Bellis. And I was the choreographer. Um, and I was, it was just like, to me, it was like, I was just so excited because it was like Dreamcast because you, Billy Marchensky, to name just a few. And then, and then I had um, seven arts umbrella, beautiful young dance artists. Um, they're so beautiful. Oh, they're so beautiful. Oh my goodness. And they were so thoughtful. And again, I, maybe that's you, or maybe that's the new generation of dancers. Like they understood imagery. They understood about talking about, oh, it was really lovely. Yeah. They're so smart. Um, I actually, in, in the show notes, I'll, I'll put a link to the little, we made a little video. Um, they went and shot themselves in various places. One of them's in Georgia, one's in Alberta. A few are here um, doing some of the choreography or like some of the studies. Uh, and then we edited it together and it's, it's just, oh, oy, oy, oy. Um, but so I was so excited. Um, and so delighted because I feel like to have an artist like you on that stage is really important for, for the audience, for me as a, a movement person. But I, 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 I get caught up in that. It's like movement, but it's just, you know, I enter from the body like, like you are saying. What were your thoughts around that? And I know we're, we're kind of on hold until next year. Hopefully, fingers are crossed. But to kind of go into that arena, that very kind of like a big established the theater, Shakespeare. Well, I must say, I have never thought of participating in Bard on the Beach. Um, But it was an invitation to audition from Lois that I I thought, okay, that's the call. Lois asked me to audition. Okay. And, And to audition for a king and... It just felt uh, it to, when I did my audition. I I and I, you know, did my research and who I who that character was and what that power. And after like coming off of that the year of <clears throat> the campaign, you know, for oh yeah for politics, um, I just felt I never felt so empowered in my own body before. I was really excited about what that meant to be a an indigenous woman. Uh, being the king of France and um, and having and my monologue was all about you know making we have to prepare for England coming at us and and I could really relate and I could really relate to what the at the base of what that of what the passion of that king is that he loves his land he loves his people and he wanted to take care for his people and his land. And that really resonated for me. Mm. And so then when I, uh, when they were uh, called me back, I was like, Oh my goodness. And they were calling me back for uh, Hippolyta. Uh, again, here's another, for me, a powerful Amazon 
warrior. She was, she's a matriarch and she's incredible. And I, I thought, wow, this is so, and I didn't see, like, I didn't do my research. So I didn't see any other mids. I mean, I remember Midsummer Night's Dream, but I never remembered Hippolyta really. So I went in there and I gave my Hippolyta thing and they were, they, you know, they were quite taken by my, by my, what I shared, um, because they gave me, uh, I actually had Theseus's line. So I got to really, you know, get in, dig in deep. And so they were excited about uh, what I was offering to the table, what I was bringing to the table. But I had, I, or I organized, you know, huge, I organized National Indigenous People's Day in Port Moody. And it's not just the day that I organize, it's uh, the, the a culmination of the whole year of projects that leads up to that day where we were going to be uh, blessing the house posts that I had been commissioned and been part of carving. So it was really important for me uh, to, to make sure that that day happened. So I was, so I was like, so how does it work? <laughs> and they're like, well, you know, you perform all the time and, you know, June 21st is our opening day. So I left the room going, well, it's our opening day. I have to, I, what, I, I'm not sure I'll be, I'm not sure what, how I'll be able to navigate that. And so we went back and forth together. And then what we came up with was they really wanted to have me as part of the cast yeah, and that they were going to change the opening day. And so that I could uh, come, I could do our matinee. We'd already been open. I could do our matinee and at, and then zip home and be home in time to be part of National Indigenous People's Day, which I thought was really wonderful of, of them as a team. And then uh, the decision, so that helped that piece. And then there had to be that other piece of, hmm, who is this Western, who is this Shakespeare man and, and all this, you know, this predominantly white uh, theater, white art practice, you know, this predominantly, this world that Shakespeare is part of and how am I going to navigate myself in that? And mm. It was really, I had to have a lot of faith in, um, in the artist, like in the intention. So I had a, with like Lois and I, I trust her and I, I really respect her work and where she is as a human being. And I didn't really know Scott too well. I've had a few interactions with him that were quite great. And so I met with him and I was able to say, you know, I think that Hippolyta is a warrior and that. I don't think that she's there willingly and I think she needs to be strong. And I think that I want, you know, she's different than everybody and let's, let's make sure we show people that because then I'd had by then done my research to be like, mm. and you know, all of Apolita, she's like, you know, she's supposed to be this warrior queen and all of her, you know, and she's, Oh, oh, my Theseus. And she's in like gossamer clothing. And she's, you don't, she you can't tell she's a, she's a warrior. You can't tell that she, she and Theseus like fought together and they, you know, and, and how did that, how did they, did she surrender because she wanted mm -hmm. to save her, her, her community and her land, you know? It, it, so we, we had to have this great conversation and Scott was super excited you, and so I felt good about, I found my, 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 uh, the eye. Yep. I found it. I was like, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to show a strong 
woman on stage, a strong Amazon or for me, an indigenous woman on stage with my own agenda. And that that's how it was going to work. That's how I made it work. <laughs> but I must say I was in, I was in the car with Ali Miracle and Clumpa Bob and Charlene Alec. And we'd just come back. Ooh, what a car. <laughs> yeah, it was quite the car. And I didn't tell them. <laughs> I didn't tell them. Um, and they, and I didn't, yeah, I, I didn't mention that I was, and that, that made me feel, huh, what, what, why didn't you, why didn't you share with them that you're going to be embarred? What, what is that about? And so I sat with that for a little while and, um, I realized that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't part of the conversation and I didn't need to tell them, um, <laughs> but that, that I had a little bit of comfort in myself to work out to to joining that joining the team and being part of this part of history of theatrical history that seems to have really taken over how theater is today and and it just yeah it brought up a a lot of questions really Mm -hmm. I can definitely see that I as a woman I find um the whole Shakespeare thing is complicated and difficult for me as well. And um, what I'm really applauding uh, at Bard in the last couple of years with, you know, with Lois, we did Lysistrata and, um, you know, with um, just a lot of the female identifying artists there, the, the voice there, they're being, you know, um, not given, they have the voice, but, but um, involvement um, in the process of change, of evolution, so it's it's an interesting time. I feel like it's an interesting time, and um, there's so much pivoting, um, opening um, to do in, in that milieu. So, yeah, boy, I hope we, uh, I hope we, I hope we get together next year. One of the things that, um, so you came into, we did a workshop on some of the movement with the arts umbrella dance artists and a few of the actors actor movers, performers, and and you came in. And one of the things uh, you shared that I really resonated and I just want to talk about it a bit is you talked about the choreographer being the host as opposed to um, the, the, you know, the definitive or the leader. You know, I, I always reference like it's not feudal. It's not a feudal system. It's, um, you know, turning things into to more of a circle. Do you want to talk about that? You just spoke so uh, beautifully about the idea of hosting. Mm. I think when I think that comes within the context of collaborations and how you know you get all these amazing uh, movers and artists into the room together and to work on a want to work on a vision and unfolding that vision and it's and so everyone ends up giving themselves they offer their gifts they offer their expressions and their movement and their choreography um is built off of what each artist and so the the concept of host for me comes from um you create the room you open up the room you you hold the space Uh, you offer drinks or, you know, offer breaks, you tell when their breaks are and you, you're the one that holds the space and you'll carry the vision and you're, and as the host, your role is to um, facilitate the day and the creation. And so you're not, you're not actually, you're not in control of it. You're caring for it 
as a gracious host, you will ask questions and take them in. And you, you as a host, you accept the gifts and you, um, you give gifts back. And that's how a collaboration happens. And in the end, you know, the, the host often gets to be called the choreographer or you know, with the name on it of I'm the choreographer or, I, you know, this person gets the director, but it's always understood that that was done within the umbrella, within the embracing of, of all of us together, holding that space. And um, most work that I work on now, we say in collaboration. So it, directed by in collaboration with, and what does that mean? I think that's so, that's so important. Um, and the idea of the, the caregiving, like taking care of everybody in the room. And that too seems like we're also taking care of the work that is being created, being born of this coming together. And if we're taking care of it, of course it flourishes like a, like a little baby. But if we're imposing, that doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just love it. I think it's such a good way of thinking and practicing so before we started recording, you were talking about some words that are kind of motivating you or you know, rippling along the surface of your work. And they were redress, recalibrate, create visibility. Do you want to talk about how those are kind of manifesting in your, in your work, in your world right now? Mm. Uh, so I live in Port Moody and we moved here 10 years ago. And Port Moody has this, they're very proud of their golden spike days where they talk about the, the, you know, the coming of Port Moody and how it was, how it was brought together. And there's all of our many street names are, you know, St. George and Lehman, and they're all named after these incredible uh, pioneers who came to Port Moody. And there's really no mention or visible recognition or honoring of the Coast Salish people whose land the city is built on. And um, in the time of, you know, in the beginning of four years ago, when truth and reconciliation was a big, a big buzz concept that we were all trying to embrace as a country, my city did nothing. And to this day, continue to not do land acknowledgements and uh, a public event. Yeah. So um, my work has been being in service really uh, as an artist, you know, I'm here. I witness that there is no, that it's, I witness an unjust in my, my community and I wanted to change it. Wow. And it all started because the, they were also at the same time as, you know, truth and reconciliation was big buzz, uh, changing the curriculum. And so my kids go to a really, at that time, are going to a really small school. And I just wanted to make sure that they were going to do it in a good way and, and be able to integrate it in a good way. So I offered a project uh, called the Welcome Post Project, where we, it was in three stages. And so the fall, the, the children were taken out onto the land with sea spice, our indigenous diva, plant diva, and just walked us through the land and shared our local history of and our connection as Kosage people to the land and what we use, you know, what we use certain plants for medicines and and really grounded the school and the teachers were part and even the parents were invited to come on that. And so like really grounding people in the land as Kosalish. 
because it's been cared for by Coast Salish people since time immemorial. And so it grounded the school in that truth of history. And then uh, we had uh, Indigenous education came in and they, you know, did some circles with every classroom to, you know, get a shared vocabulary about talking about Coast Salish lands and values. And then Halacton, who is an incredible master carver, came in and talked with the kids and they created a design together for a house post. So typically um, what we see in Vancouver uh, is a lot of totem poles and we see a lot of work that is not Coast Salish. And when we were talking about the word resurgence, what I was meaning was that this is Coast Salish land and part of the erasure of, of the culture and of the people is making sure that none of who we are is visible anywhere. So there's the totem poles in Stanley Park up until recently have all been from people from the north or up the island. And beautiful, beautiful work, but not our work, not who we are. And even at the Museum of Anthropology, they're changing. They've, they've changed over time, but a lot of what they show there is, has been in, up until recently other nations. And that's part of the way to displace us. And so I was talking about resurgence, about that. So totem pole is what people see around. There are those big posts, the big round, you know, and they have designs on them. House posts is what we as Coast Salish people, that's our practice. And house posts, uh, they held up the roof of our longhouses and on the house posts would be designs of symbols of who the family was of commemorating an event or uh, talking about the values of you know what that particular family was so if you entered that longhouse or you you know canoed down the waters and along the shores you knew who territory you were coming through and who was taking care of the land by you know what you what you would see on longhouses and some you know the welcome figures so we were creating a house post and the children got to carve on it they got to participate in the design of it and so really invested in what this piece was and at the end of that project the children were saying amazing generalizations but you know they were a lot different generalizations than when I was growing up and things like all First Nations people are, are so connected to Mother Earth and all First Nations people are such incredible artists and, you know, quite healthy generalizations. Uh, <laughs> and, and I thought, wow, success, wow, wonderful. And then the parents on the other side who weren't participating in the projects were like, so um, that was a lot of money that we spent for a piece of wood. So... Um, I think, wouldn't it be wonderful if we invited the artist to come back and donate some of his time for us and do a painting for us um, because we gave him so much money and maybe he could give that back to us. Yeah. I just have to say, are you fucking kidding me? No, not at all. No, not at all. Oh, gross. Yeah. That's so gross. I know. But what it did for Tasha was it was like, <laughs> this needs to happen on a bigger scale, which led to the Welcome Post project that happened in all of Port Moody. So everyone was invited to come and go for walks along the shoreline trail. I had a whole program of storytellers and knowledge keepers came. And then the community all got together after, you know, a summer of programming to work with an artist to 
design a house post that was what their new values were as new residents. And that house post got raised. It was given as a gift to Tsleil-Waututh Nation, uh, who in turn asked us to raise it in Port Moody. So now it stands at Port Moody in at the hatchery where all these events happen. And it's a reclaimed Indigenous space because the hatchery is actually on a place historically called Saint-Mamet. And it was a Tsleil-Waututh village that was there. And so now they've got a reclaimed space and the work has unfolded since then. And back to your question about what those words are, for me, what's become really important is recalibrating, realigning all of these lands with the values of the people who've been caring for it since time immemorial, because they're really important values. And that values based on that Coast Salish eye, you have prayers, you have visions, and they, and whatever you do, whatever action or every decision you make has a ripple effect. And those ripple effects, you need to consider your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and all of our relations, not just your family, but your, the winged ones and the four-leggeds. And um, so when I talk about my work and like where I stand right now, it's about realigning all of us to that, because especially in this time of COVID, especially in this time of climate change and all of these like reevaluating like our relationships with culture and with gender and the very basis of human relationships, we all need to come from a place of kindness and of intention. And for me, that's what is at the core of Coast Salish culture is that I and that fact that every single person was born with a gift and every single person is born to share in the sacred responsibility to care for the land and the waters and all of our relations. Yes. Yeah. So beautiful and so important. And to just like keep holding that and keep coming back to that intentionality um, that you speak about. And I think that's so important as settler uninvited guests, like how can we continue to align because we're here on this land? Absolutely. So now, so the shoreline trail is our, we've been to Port Moody. Oh yes. Not recently though. Right. Now I'm like, oh, I, I need to come and see. Yeah. So Port Moody is beautiful. We are really lucky to be, um, we're nestled in between two mountains and we're at the, the, the top of the Burrard Inlet. So, and we really managed to keep a smaller community and to keep our green spaces. And so we have this iconic shoreline trail that goes from Rocky Point Park all the way to Old Orchard. It passes various archaeological sites that are left unmarked and various sacred sites uh, throughout the trail. And so what my uh, next project is, I'm in the middle of it, is commissioning five artists from the five different nations, uh, Coast Salish nations who cared for these lands, having them carve a house post that will be raised from between. So there'll be five different house posts from Rocky Point all the way to Old Orchard. And it'll be a new path called uh, In the Presence of Ancestors. And each house post is carved uh, on site at the Noon Creek Hatchery. So everyone gets invested, can become invested in the story and learn from the knowledge keepers speaking about their own history from themselves. So last year we did uh, Quaquitlam. And so we had an artist um, site and the youth were part of designing it, carving it, and then, you know, 
everyone who came to that house post learned about Quiquitlam and they learned about their story. And now, now that story and who they are is carried throughout, you know, thousands of current residents of these lands. And previously no one knows about who's Quiquitlam. Meanwhile, our water in the Tri-Cities comes from Quiquitlam Lake. And the whole reason why we have our water coming from Quiquitlam Lake was that in 1905, they built a dam. And that dam buried Quiquitlam's main village underwater so that we could have, well, at first it was for energy, but now it's for our water. And no one knows the real story. No one knows that that lake was put in. Our water comes from, uh, you know, displacing the Quiquitlam people and also preventing their salmon from completing their cycle up to the lake. So, you know, now people know that story. <laughs> and and uh, I think that's really important. And it came from Quiquitlam. That story was told by, you know, comes from Quiquitlam. So next year, you know, you're all welcome to come and out to come to Port Moody to the Nudes Creek Hatchery. And uh, we're hosting a Musqueam. So Musqueam will be coming and carving their houseboats and you'll be able to hear Musqueam knowledge keepers share their story and who they are and what their vision is for, for the future. Oh, amazing. And in the end, we'll have this like beautiful path of a live art show for many generations to come. These houseboats will stand. I think that's, uh, that's great. <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible. You're amazing. You're just amazing. Okay, just to kind of like go from heart opening, big outdoor, I can't wait to go to this COVID. I just uh, want to talk about like how, uh, like, Ive, uh, I know. How have you been managing or do you have things that are like hmm. getting you through? Well, you know, I think like in the beginning of it, it was so shitty because it was my birthday. Like Monday, March 23rd was like the oh. beginning of no one being able to see each other. And so I was super bummed, but not, not because of my, like, it's my birthday and I don't get to party, <laughs> but, but mostly because I was so afraid of the unwellness that was going to sweep through, through these lands. Like all, I just couldn't turn off my, my sensations of all of the, like not everyone is healthy. Not everyone has the tools to be in a small space together. Not everyone has parents who have the tools to be good parents in the first place, let alone to like be stuck in a home. And I was just overwhelmed with the, with just that fear, what the unwellness was going to spread throughout these lands. And um, because, you know, Tara, we've been here before, We've seen disease in this land and this, you know, tens of thousands of our people have died previously. So, you know, the sheer fear of what this means, it felt almost like I'd been here before and I was mm. like, oh, and there's this book that Lee Miracle wrote, um, Celia's Song. I know it was Raven Song, the main character, they get word of the flu coming up and her heart just sunk because she knew what that meant. And that it was like a shutdown of all of her life plans. And what it meant was the whole community was going to have to brace for disease and death. And I felt like I was like having to brace for disease and death and all of these sad babies living with really unhealthy parents. And so, so yeah, I didn't have a very good birthday. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. 
But what it what it did do was part of the Welcome Post project has been I do festivals every year that lead up to National Indigenous Peoples Day. So this year our whole festival was about Kapai'ai, which is cedar. And cedar is our tree of life and has uh, medicines for our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our souls, for our physical being. So Originally, you know, everyone was going to be able to come out on the land and hear the stories and, you know, do workshops and stuff. And I just was like, you know what? We need this medicine. We need cedar medicine. And I I quickly realized that everyone was going to be on Facebook and online like right away. So we just adapted the program and made it come online. So I knew for me, my medicine was every week there was going to be a knowledge keeper or an artist expressing about cedar I was able to curate the program so that I had artists in different communities all around Lower Mainland. So all the way up in the Stotlow and up in Upper Squamish. And and, uh, so I just knew that there were some anchors of some people in the community who were focusing on cedar and that they were going to share that. And then we had thousands of people being able to watch these incredible events that happen every Monday. And I did a virtual art gallery. And so there was five artists and they created work to do with cedar. So we had a weaver who Angela George did an incredible weaving and James Harry did incredible carving and Roxanne Charles did incredible cedar weaving and Ocean Highland did a mask and incredible young cultural leader in the Stotlow. She shared with us her paddles that she painted and the design around them. And so I just offered cedar medicine to Mm. everyone and that helped me. And then I crashed. Yeah. I think that after that, and something tragic happened, which I'm not going to share here, but something tragic happened. And uh, so then it's really been this last two weeks, definitely deep depression and like, oh my God, and everything with what's going around in the world. So what are my tools in these last two weeks? Um, It was sugar. (laughs) Yeah. Bought myself some fudgios and um, uh, a lot of the place that I usually go to for my medicine, like for like, there's this beautiful, well, the hatchery is a beautiful space for me. And it became, um, I couldn't go there anymore for that, for that piece. So that was kind of taken away from me. So I've just kind of been floundering in the last couple of weeks. Um, I had a grant due also. So yeah, yeah, just, um, you know, and there's four of us living together. So, and we do really well here and I are both home people anyways, but navigating the the young ones and what they're, how, like what they're going through. So, you know, we started out this COVID thing with a list of our code of ethics. Oh, smart. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we had a code of ethics and the first one, of course, the first one is the Coast Salish eye. So knowing that whatever you do has ripple effects. And then I had, you know, roommate sensitivity. So being really aware of how heavy are your feet? How, you know, how loud are you going to be talking on the phone or getting up early in the morning or staying up late at night? Like roommate sensitivity. I think it's important. And then there was, um, uh, what the one that I really like is kindness, otherwise known as don't go out of your way to be an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Really important. Otherwise known as don't go out of your way to be an asshole. Yeah. Mm. Especially when you have teenagers. Um, right. And warrior up. So, you know, there's, we were called upon during COVID to some things that we wouldn't normally want to do. Like, I don't want to do that, but 
no, this is a pandemic and you have to come to the plate, warrior up. So I had warrior up on there and then, um, owning up. So like, let's take responsibility for what you've done and own up to it and say, sorry and reflect. And, and there was, oh yeah, COVID, what was it? Antiviral management, otherwise known as do your chores. (laughs) Because didn't you find, I found like with all of us home, the house is like in constant mess. I know it's crazy. It's crazy. I feel like it, the, the upkeep, I guess, because we're just here all the time. Yeah. It's just constant. Yeah. So that was on the list. <laughs> <laughs> and then self-regulation, I felt was really important so that, you know, go to your room, hang out, go for a walk, like take care of yourself. Yeah. So we had a code of ethics. Oh my God. God, I wish I would have called you like three months ago. Um, <laughs> well, there might be a wave too. So you, you can figure out what your code of ethics is going to be. That's like the best idea. I mean, it's, I think it's the best idea just regularly actually sitting down and like coming together as a family or as a couple or whatever your living uh, environment is and talking a code of ethics through. Totally. And don't go out of your way to be an asshole. Don't go ahead. Oh, yes. so good. So good. Um, is there anything that you're really looking forward to in the next, um, like, let's go finite, like in the next like week, in the next few months, mm-hmm. in the next future time? There is a beautiful circle of women who uh, we, in February, we performed together. Uh, Raven Spirit Dance were, was the host and they brought us together, these five women. And we did a dance piece called Confluence. And so just yesterday, we got together on Zoom to put in a piece for Dancing on the Edge. And we won't be able to gather together for a long time, but we were, we're going to create a, a piece based on confluence and what that there's this, the, the opening is this beautiful circle dance of the community coming together. And it's just a really beautiful place of joy. And, um, it was interesting to have that conversation and to be invited to dance and be putting myself out there again, performing. And to be honest, I, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. So I had to really sit in that and all my beautiful sisters were calling me and holding my back, holding me and putting a blanket around me. And one of my dear friends, Jeanette, you know, checked in with me all night long and just said, you know, follow the cedar message and feel that call. And so I do, I feel the call today. So I'm looking forward to putting something small together for that, to join again with that circle of women. That's what I look forward to. I'm not ready to be fully out there. I think the the last couple of weeks has really taken a toll on, on me and my being. And I don't really feel like coming to the plate to perform, but I think that I can come to the plate and be Tasha and be in that, the eye place of the Coast Salish eye and just be there. And I don't need to, I don't need to give myself, I I don't have to give myself away. I'm just joining the circle. That feels, that feels okay to do. Wonderful. Yeah. So will that be part of Raven Spirit's offering for The Edge? Next week. Just coming up next week. Yeah. The 2nd to the 12th, I think. I'm hosting an opening party online on Zoom on the 2nd. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. I know. (laughs) What's that going to be like? I have to figure it out. Reinventing. 
inventing a new, a new form. It's uh, kind of exciting and also, I know, I know, so computery. I like the idea of being able to reinvent and because what it does is it really asks us, well, what's the essential thing here? What's the essential thing of hosting an opening? Really? Exactly. What's the essential thing of like of life really when, you know, in COVID with the essential thing was making sure your family was okay and making sure in the end that you were okay. So I think that that's what one of the big things that I've gotten out of COVID is I don't have to do anything that doesn't feel right. That's not going to make a good ripple effect, I guess. Mm, It's so important. It is. Yeah, I think we can, we get so busy and so kind of like, I don't know, just like the the noise of it all. Totally. Can't hear what's coming from inside. Yeah, we get attached to a wheel, you know, and a machine. And that machine is kind of not really founded or grounded in value. I mean, it is, it's, it's grounded in a value that's, that maybe is it aligned? Like, how can that value be realigned? to what's important to you as a human being and what's important to you as, as, uh, as well, just as a human being. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we have this, like, you know, it's so difficult, but it's an opportunity for the stepping back and hmm, I'm not going back to where the, Oh my God, I'm so busy, you know, to like what matters. Mm -hmm. And, um, you talked about a lot of your projects, but is there something like going to the water, the forest, the something in the next, as things get warmer that you look forward to? Swimming. I want to swim at my lake. I live near Bunsen Lake. Hmm. I haven't been there in a week, but they, they blocked off where I like to go swim. And so I have to like break rules to swim, which I'll do, but I haven't done it yet. So I'm really looking mm-hmm. forward to swimming. I want to swim. Oh yeah. I'm missing that too. We're like total like aquatic people and <laughs> yeah. Being in the water, submerged, a little buoyant. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Yeah. Cannot wait. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for spending this time with us. It's been just like so amazing to hear all your projects and brilliance and energy and fantastic code of ethics. Oh Yeah. yeah. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Tasha Faye Evans, for sitting down and sharing your incredible ideas, your inspiration, and your work with us today. Do check out the links in the show notes to see Tasha's great projects and have an opportunity to maybe see some of this great work that she's doing here on the West Coast. And it reverberates around the world and into the universe. Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne is produced by Mark Stewart Music with original music by the same. You can reach us, Instagram, Tara Cheyenne TCP, Facebook, Tara Cheyenne Performance, or the traditional email, info at tarashayan.com. Talking Shit with Tara Cheyenne is a production of Tara Cheyenne Performance. How many more times can I say my own name, Tara Cheyenne? Be well, stay creative. Stillness is always there for you. Creativity sometimes comes from that feeling of nothing. See you next time. Be well.
This podcast is effing good.